Towards Financial Freedom with Lex McKee. If you need a financial miracle, it pays to begin with meditating on the word. That's thinking God's thoughts after him. With over a year of COVID restrictions in the UK, as in other parts of the world, many families, businesses and churches have faced uncommon struggles. Here, I'm going to share five core scriptures I am continuously using to first reprogram my mind and then maintain that scripturally healthy thinking. Remember, God has promised us transformation through the renewing of our minds. My five core scriptural anchors are, number one, the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to change the title on that in a minute. But that's Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. Number two, remembering that Yahweh is the one who gives us the power, the strength, the ability to gain wealth. That's Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. We're going to go back over all these scriptures. So just stay with the five first. Number three, trusting my heavenly father for a home and wealth and a prudent spouse, if you need one. Proverbs 9, verse 14. Number four, knowing that the blessing of Yahweh makes us rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 10 verse 22. And number five, the explicit will of God for us in 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be healthy even as your soul prospers. I believe I can serve you better if I share my own tribulations in this area and how these five scriptural building blocks are acting as that anchor of the soul they talk about in scriptures, the hope being an anchor for your soul, for your mind. Father and Jesus are clear through the Holy Spirit. We are not to pray with vain repetition like the Gentiles do. However, reprogramming the mind is different to that. We are to meditate on his word day and night. Most of the torment I face is at night when the cares of this world have a tendency to sneak in and prey on my thoughts. They have plenty of ground to work with. I'm 60 years old and still have no manifest home of my own, nor provision for my older age. It would be easy to panic and be filled with unbelief and doubt. This is why I must remain diligent in thinking God's thoughts after him. This is how I define meditation, thinking on the scriptures over and over and over again till they really sink in and change our hearts and soul. After all, the scriptures are the truth. I take great comfort from Abraham. Listen to this part of Romans chapter 4, it's verses 17 to 21. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Isn't that brilliant? As it is written, I have made you. I have made you a father of many nations. This is before there was any evidence to that. And God is talking past tense. I have made you a father of many nations. This is in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. I'm going to pause there because there is so much power for us today, believing for a financial miracle in those words in Romans 4. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead. Just as spring is coming here in the UK, we're seeing life flooding into the trees that looked as if they were dead. God genuinely gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not that's a different truth the things that are not as though they were there's two truths here divine revelatory truth that can change the future and circumstantial sensory truth so god is calling the things that are not sensory truth as though they were i have made you 
a father. I have made you a father of many nations, he says to Abraham. Now, I go on with the scriptures here. Listen to this language. Besides hope. What does that mean? It's like beyond hope. Besides hope. Abraham, in hope, believed to the end that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So will your offspring be. Without being weakened in faith, he didn't consider his own body already having been worn out. So there's the other truth. The things that are, his body was past it. Yet he didn't let his focus and attention stay on his body like that. He being about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So let's go back in those scriptures again. God who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. Yet looking to the promise of God, he didn't waver through unbelief, but grew strong through faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I've got no issues with unbelief or doubt there. Are you not sharing with me? I'm sure you are. The fact that we are fully assured that what God has promised to us, he is able to perform. Now, of course, that begs the question, are we convinced that God has promised us financial security, even financial freedom? I'm deeply encouraged by Abraham. I'm also deeply encouraged by what God reckons Abraham's faith to be. So he says in the next verse, this is verse 22, therefore it also was credited to him for righteousness. I don't know about you, let's be blunt. Abraham eventually lived, Abraham eventually lived to the message we just read. Before that time, he listened to Sarah and went into Hagar to give birth to a son. That's an application of man's logic, and that application of man's logic has led to centuries of conflict. I'm encouraged, though also saddened, that Abraham didn't get it right immediately. I'm saddened for him, and I'm encouraged for us, because I've got it so wrong over so many years. And yet there was hope for Abraham, and yet there was an amazing outcome. He was learning as he went along, just like you, just like me. I also love the fact that Abraham faced the facts, the natural truth, the truth of circumstances, the truth of the evidence of his senses. He realised that his body was pretty much past it. Yet eventually he did not waver. In fact, he learned how to grow strong in faith, giving glory to God, realising that what God promises, he is well able and willing and ready so to do. Results follow attention. If we focus on natural truth that says the game is almost over and there is no hope, there will be no hope of a positive outcome. But if we focus on divine truth, faith can arise in God rather than the circumstances. And then wonderful miracles can happen. And what is a miracle? Isn't a miracle something that goes beyond the normal, beyond the natural? Thus, when I'm troubled, whether night or day, I meditate on these five passages, using my fingers to remind me to cover them all. I touch my little finger and remember the prodigal. My ring finger reminds me of remembering that it is my heavenly father, Yahweh, who gives me the power to gain wealth and to confirm his covenant with Jesus. My middle finger to remind me that my home and my wealth are an inheritance from my heavenly father. My index finger to put my finger on the fact that there is no sorrow added 
when the blessing of Yahweh makes us rich. My thumb to close the meditation reminded me that Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have made it their will that you and I enjoy health and wealth explicitly clear. I'm a bit torn now because ideally you'd meditate on the passages and get your own revelations. That's the best way. However, I'd still like to share with you some of the depths of insight that are coming to me by going over and over and over and over and over and over these very same passages. Time and time again. This is not vain repetition of prayer. This is the power repetition of meditating on God's word. So let's go first to the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is misnamed. It is actually the parable of the lost sons. Remember the older self-righteous son who depended on his own righteousness. That's what self-righteous means. He remains outside the house and estranged from his father as well as from his returning brother. I have a whole message on this that I can share with you and point to you in the notes. For my meditation, however, I identify with the sinner, the younger son who blows it all. His plan was to say to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, because he reasoned that in his father's house, even the hired servants had enough to eat. The tragedy of this solution is that the younger son would still be outside the house, estranged from his father, estranged from his brother. He'd survive, but at a level far below what was available and offered freely and compassionately and mercifully by the loving father. It's a real blessing to see the younger son change his plea when he sees the love of the father. That father demonstrates his love for the younger son by running to him. And then we know what happens next. We're going to build that into our meditation. When he sees the depth of his father's love, he drops his cunning plan to be made like a hired servant and humbles himself instead. What does the father give him? He gives him the sandals of sonship and freedom. The younger son is to be a free man again, not a hired servant. He gives the father's best robe, often a symbol of office, and in the scriptures, of the anointing. We have been clothed with Christ. Think about that. The signet ring to apply the father's authority in his name. And the fattened calf, so that they may all begin rejoicing together. This is meant to be joy, abundant life. I believe most believers are too passive. We wait for God to take action on our behalf, forgetting that we are co-laborers together with God. With God. With God. It's amazing. I remember Moses affecting the outcome of one of the key battles. When he held his arms up in the staff, uh, the staff of God, the Israelites prevailed. When Moses' arms holding the staff dropped, the enemy prevailed. What is this all about? Couldn't God just give the victory anyway? Apparently not. We have a role to play in bringing God's explicit will into manifestation in our lives. Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves. He spoke to the storm. He didn't just expect it to happen passively. Jesus took an active role in producing the outcome. Jesus talked about speaking to the mountain as he demonstrated the lesson with speaking to the fig tree. Our words of command against our enemy are part of the process. When Peter's mother-in-law was ill, he did not pray. He rebuked the fever. I think many of us Christians are spending too long. I don't suppose you can spend too long praying. But we may be spending too much time in ineffective prayer when we should be speaking 
God's dominion, his kingdom, out into the situation so that his name is hallowed. The younger son's restoration to full rights of sonship, and more so, show us the father's love for us. The younger son did not behave well. He was nevertheless a son. My walk with God has been a major embarrassment at times, not just to me, but also to the Lord as well. Not because I've wanted to fail, but I have failed horribly. Frankly, I think this becomes irrelevant once we, like the younger son, come to our senses. It's never been about our self-righteousness. I'm happy to say every day, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I know that technically I, in my own strength, am unworthy to be called your son. Nevertheless, see, I don't think that's worm theology. I think that's the honest truth. Jesus said, be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, the chances of me being perfect without the work of the Holy Spirit are zilch. Jesus said, Stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. It's always going to be about this cooperation with God, promoting the miraculous change in us. We need to accept God's gracious reconciliation. That means identifying with who we are in Christ, clothed with Christ, the Father's best robe. We have his name, the ring. We have freedom. The Son has set us free indeed, the sandals. And we are meant to be making merry. So that's the first part of my meditation, seeing myself as the younger son and accepting God's gracious provision of his Holy Spirit, of the use of his name, of the power to change my status and wealth based on my relationship with the Father. Secondly, then, the power to gain wealth, Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. But you shall remember Yahweh your God. What a great thing. Going to remember God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is today. So there's this powerful conclusion to many, many wonderful verses in Deuteronomy 8 that says, you know, when you you enter the land and you live in these beautiful houses and you have great crops and your, your wealth is overflowing, remember, remember that it's Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you the ability, the power, the strength to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore, not to you, to your fathers. And again, you've got this wonderful thing about relationship here, because Jesus fulfilled the covenant perfectly. And in a sense, he is our father in terms of being our ancestor. It's done. He said from the cross, it's finished. This is perfected now. This is, this is established. And God then wants to give you the ability, the strength, the power to get wealth, that he may confirm that covenant. This was good to hear in Moses' day. It's great to hear today because Jesus is one of our fathers in that sense and he fulfilled completely perfectly the conditions of the covenant for all parties. This means that this promise gets its yes in him and through him our amen is said to the glory of God. I love the fact that this promise has nothing to do with us or our activity. It was a promise sworn to our fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to Joseph and Daniel, to Moses and Elijah, to Peter, James and John, to Paulus and Silas and Timothy and Luke and Matthew and Mark and Barnabas, and of course, to Jesus, a promise sworn by God. It cannot be broken, and wealth is the confirming of that covenant. Wow. Our Father Yahweh gives us the strength, the power, the ability to gain wealth so that, so that, so that he may confirm that covenant with our fathers. 
We get this as a result of being in the family, not from our own righteousness, nor from our own good works. It looks as well that becoming wealthy may appear to be the result of our own hard work at a business level, hence having to remember that it is Father who gives us the ideas, the insights and the opportunities, working often in the unseen. That's why it says remember that it's God who gives you the power. He doesn't just dump wealth in our bank accounts, although he can do, but rather provides the ability to gain wealth, the strength, the power. Once more, we have a part to play. Once more, though, it is never because of our own self-righteousness, our own worthiness, but rather because of our relationship, because of his commitment to what he's sworn to do, because of his honour and his glory. Trust God to show you ways to bring value to others and in the process for you to gain wealth. My third one is from Proverbs 19 verse 14. It's an interesting one if you're after a husband or a wife. Uh, I'm sure it's the same for both genders, though the verse reflects the very male-centric nature of the scriptures at the time. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. There are many points of interest for me here. This verse is suggesting a way to own a home which has nothing to do with your job, but goes back again to your relationship. Your house and your wealth can legitimately be an inheritance, not something you've earned, just because of the relationship. Jesus told us to call no man father, for we have one father in heaven, which is why I seek to call my earthly parent dad, and I reserve, when I remember, father for my heavenly father. With this being true, I believe it is acceptable to call upon our heavenly father to provide for us a home that we own debt-free and trouble-free, along with it wealth through inheritance, not through work. This is by no means suggesting that we should not work. We should. However, as a 60-year-old, the likelihood of me being able to earn my way to a home of my own and wealth to sustain me in my older age is laughable. It sounds like the Abraham and Sarah bit, doesn't it? Sounds like Abraham and Sarah having a child. In the natural, it was pretty much impossible. It can happen but I'm no longer focusing my hope on that. Abraham switched his focus onto the God who was promising, his friend, the friend of God. Instead, I'm focusing my hope then on Heavenly Father's generosity and on our relationship that he would make the way for me to have a home of my own and income based on our relationship and not on my earnings. Earning in the New Testament is a fascinating subject. It looks like we're supposed to earn in order to have seed to sow and to be generous on all occasions. This is not the world's frame on income. Income for us is to give and to sow. Our Father knows what we need and he has promised to provide for those needs. I believe every believer should have a roof over their heads, debt free. Jesus said he didn't have a home, so we need to weigh that too. It depends what God is calling you to. I'm certainly not consciously connected with the Father as Jesus was, So I'm often unclear about the perfect will of God. I do believe, however, that having your own home, our own home, is essential to our sense of well-being. And it's clear that the apostles owned their own homes. At the end of the day, faith pleases God. And thus, if you believe Father wants you to have a home, that pleases him. If you believe it, it pleases him. I believe. 
Fourth one is wealth without sorrow. I love this. Proverbs 10, verse 22. This one was a complete game changer for me. Yahweh's blessing brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. I've enjoyed periods of wealth over the decades, but here's the indicator. They've usually come with trouble. They've usually come with sorrow. This is because sometimes we buy things and we do things financially without God's guidance. It's particularly true of buying stuff without thinking long enough about it or praying about it. I have a history of impetuosity. And I said, I think this would serve you better if I was honest about my own tribulations in this podcast. So I have not been financially wise. I do not deserve prosperity, either from a righteous sense of view or from a business sense of view. I need a miracle. How attractive then to hear that Father's blessing will bring us wealth without the trouble. No sorrow, no misery that so easily can come with the wrong wealth. It's happy wealth. Amen to that. And then finally, let's do number five. I've, I meditate regularly on 3 John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be healthy, even as your soul prospers. Did you see the catch there? There is a catch, even as, can be taken to mean to the degree that your soul prospers. This is good news because it gives us focus. Our success in life is very much down to the renewing of the mind, the prosperity of the soul. He promises us in Romans 12 too that we can be transformed, metamorphosed, like a caterpillar into a butterfly, utterly transformed by the renewing of our minds, by not thinking in the patterns that the world uses or following their processes, but thinking in God's patterns and trusting his process. The more scripturally focused we become, the more Christ-minded, the more the blessings can flow. So let's conclude then. I now have no doubt that God's will for you and for me is health, wealth and biblically-based happiness. Probably better to call it joy. Our health and our wealth are linked to our relationship with God, not on our own self-righteousness or anything we've earned. He is a good good father and his son is praying for us all the time at the right hand of our father in heaven furthermore we are not left as orphans the holy spirit has been sent the comforter the guide the helper the holy spirit can guide us so that we can enjoy life and have it more abundantly one of the things i really like in entrepreneurial if i could say the word entrepreneurialism let's try that a different way one of the things i really like about entrepreneurs is the belief that the most important thing is the who, not the how. It's who you know, not how you're going to achieve it. It's the team you build that gets the results. Well, what a team. You and I are co-laborers together with God. We have a part to play, but it's our relationship with him that leads us to wealth through his blessing. And he adds no sorrow with it. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus and through him our amen is said to the glory of God. Let's glorify God, let's hallow his name by just being open to the blessings of the Father, to put on the Holy Spirit, to speak out boldly, commandingly in his name and to be open to wealth, health and joy. This is why Jesus came. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly.